Hey, we are in 1 John. We're going through this particular New Testament letter. And um, I think you may have noticed as you have went through it with us, or maybe even as you studied it yourself in times past, or maybe read it during your regular reading. It's a particular piece of scripture that actually has an interesting um, pattern, if you would. Think of it like, uh, you know, when when an artist does his first painting, and, and he actually discovers, she actually discovers that they're actually gifted at it. They're, I think they realize not only do they like doing it, but it appeals. And so then they do their next one and the next one and then do a, the 50th and the 100th and 200th. And maybe they're then publicized and other people know about it. And, and you notice with that artist a, a distinctive, a, a pattern. There's something that tells you, oh... I know who painted this. I know who did this. And, and even like uh, fabric, you know, when you have fabric, a shirt or a garment perhaps, and there's a particular color and then there's other colors and there, as I shared last week, there's a, there's a pattern and a consistency you can tell like, wow, this, this is actually looks good together. Well, as we go through this particular letter, you maybe have been picking up on that. That there is this, this consistency of pattern and this, this exhortation, this invitation to know God, to know the love of God, and to live in a way that honors God. And that repeats itself throughout this letter as we've kind of journeyed through it. And so let me just share with you what I have noticed, because we're up to chapter 4. And in each chapter, there's been some verse or maybe multiple that really stuck out. That kind of, we go, oh wow, maybe many of you have memorized some of them. Because even in your own private reading, you've noticed, oh, that really kind of really stuck with me. Like in, in the first chapter, you know, which is addressing the reality of, of God being forgiving and, and God teaching you how to live because he's empowered you to do that. But being real and practical and, and addressing to you and to me that you're not perfect, you're going to learn as you go. And if you confess your sins then he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That was chapter 1, verse 9. And then as we journeyed into chapter 2, I noticed in verses 15 through 17, there was this important um, declaration and reminder that you're not of this world, that, that, that you're, you're, you're eternal. You're born again, born of the Spirit. You will live eternity with God. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. That was chapter 2, verse 17. And we see that repeated as we go along through this particular letter. And then, of course, when you worked your way through and we looked at chapter 3, verse 1, you almost had to stop right there and ponder. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And I'm sure you, actually, I've been expressing it because I've actually been experiencing it too, this uh, healthy contemplation. What does this love look like? What is this love in a practical expression? Behold, what outer world love this is that we have been given that would even bring us into a fa- the family. We'd be his children, children of God. And as we worked into chapter 4 last week, uh, verse 7 really stood out. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
with that, let's pray and we're gonna continue in our study. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness and that you repeat not with any form of redundancy, but rather you repeat that we would take hold of the truth. You remind us of what we need to know. And you do it in such a way that we can grasp it and comprehend it. For you give us insight and understanding. As your word says, we can't just intellectually look at this and and get it. For these things are spiritually discerned and therefore you reveal these truths to us. And so I would pray today, God, walk us through your word. Teach us what you have for us individually. Remind us how we're to live and function collectively. But may you receive the glory by the way we live, by the things we say and what we do. Thank you, God, that you will teach us in your sweet name, Jesus. The name above all names we pray. Amen. So I would like to pick up in verse 12. It's a uh, jumping obviously in the middle, but that we left off at 11 last week. You can catch that first portion of, you go online and catch that message. But as I as mentioned before, I, as I'm here on Sunday and sharing, I, 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 especially through First John, we've focused on this. I want to be in some way modeling how you would even study. And for you, those of you who are just beginning to read the Bible and, and take hold of these things, you know, this, this way of going through it. It's not a method that, that, that's going to be the only way to do things. But we're going to read through verse 12 of 1 John 4 through to chapter 5, verse 5. And that's the capsule, the portion of Scripture we'll look at. So I'll give you, we'll get the overview as we do that in reading it all together. And then we'll go back up to verse 12, and then we'll just kind of walk through application and insight as we then work through that. So let's read. I'll I'll read with you um, as we go through 1 John, beginning in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not, made, has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, does not have love, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, you may be processing in your mind like, yeah, 
That's like 12 sermons all back to back, quite honestly. But as we're going to go through it, you're going to see that, the, you know, just the good, the value to kind of just working through with a little depth and at the same time keeping it in the big picture perspective. In verse 12, we're told that no one has seen God. No one has seen the Holy Spirit. No man has seen the Father. Moses got a glimpse of his glory, but he didn't see the fullness of the Father. He got a glimpse, a passing shadow, so to speak. I believe a portion of why this is presented here, because um, you've got to catch the flow of everything. It's like, okay, why, why does he just seem to insert that? Well, we know historically that in, in a teaching that was taking place at that time, Gnosticism, the Gnosis, higher knowledge. You have a higher connection. You, they, they taught these false teachers that you could have an experience with God that, that you know, it wasn't really related to your physical because, you know, God is spiritual. And, and so, really, I believe what happened then is, is even what happens today when, when people say, well, God, I've seen God in a vision. Or God appeared to me. And, and you know, that happens now, right? You, know, you hear these, sometimes these stories about people get a pass, they get a you know, quick trip up to heaven and come back and tell you what it's all about and, and describe certain things. And I don't know, I don't try to get into all that. But this does say no man has seen God. So when someone says, well, God has appeared to me and spoke to me, then it's like, no, he didn't. You know, it's like, it, it, it's not what you're perceiving it to be. Now, the reason I say this is because this is what the Bible says. It's not that I don't want people to see God. I just want them to understand how that would happen. The Bible tells you and me that we can know him. We're told in Colossians chapter 1, and speaking of Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. Did you see that? He is the visible manifestation of those things you have never seen. He's the image of the invisible God. God's design is that you see the Father through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when he was dealing with uh, those people that were really kind of uptight religious people that really thought they were the only way that you and I or a common person or anybody could really know God was to go through them. Well, when he's dealing with them, there was such a, a contrast between the truth of God, Jehovah, and what they were presenting God to be that he said to these religious leaders, I and the Father are one. And do you remember their reaction? We are going to kill you. Literally, that's their reaction because in their frame of mind, as guardians of the Old Testament, so to speak, what he said can't be said unless it's actually true. They understood it. You are saying God who has never been seen can be seen by looking at you. I and the Father are one. And they, were, they determined to kill him. Because he said, I'm the visible expression of the invisible God. And it's so important because we, we long to have a relationship. And even in that day, people were saying, what's this? Well, no, here's this thing. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. That's how, that's how it goes down. That's how it unfolds. Now, if we love one another, God abides in us. We'll, we'll revisit that and even the element of, of being perfected. Let's look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given of us his spirit. Jesus in 
talking with a man who really wanted to know the truth. He was really seeking um, so much that he separated from his co-workers and his, you know, little club, so to speak. This man, Nicodemus, chose to go to Jesus at a time when he could connect. And Nick at night, he, he goes over here and he, he connects with them because he has some questions. And he's like, okay, so... I know you are of God because of the way you do things. And Jesus basically just looked at him and said, you must be born again. And, and Nicodemus, you know, when he, when he hears this, he's like, what? Yeah, you must be born again. It's like, oh, I'm old. Mom's not going to go for that. You know, I mean, it's like a one way out of the womb. There's no way you're plan. You know, I mean, he's just literally so stuck in this thought. Like, and Jesus said, listen, you look at the trees and you see the leaves and they move. And that's because the wind moves them, but you don't see the wind. So is this in the spirit. You must be born of the spirit. Born again. The Bible teaches very clearly to us that God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells the believer the moment you are born again. The Holy Spirit is in the world, but then will be within you. The very moment if you are a follower follower of Jesus Christ, I I didn't say Christian because that's too hard to interpret, but a follower of Jesus Christ is actually the biblical definition of a believer. A follower of Jesus Christ... The moment you agreed with God, you didn't actually even initiate it. You responded to his love extended to you. And as we respond to his prompting and we're convicted about our personal sin, and we know deep down it's not, it's not a deep thing intellectually. It's, it's a reality. Every person knows they've done wrong. Every person's aware they need forgiveness. But when God brings you to that crossroad of conversion where you agree with him, the moment you agree with him, the moment you in your heart of hearts are saying, God, I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I don't even know all this stuff, but I do need, I ask for your forgiveness. Show me how to live. Help me to under, I don't even understand this whole born again stuff, but you made it very clear. That's what has to happen. So I ask for that. Literally, and it's, it's something that's so powerful because you're literally born of the spirit in that moment. And the Holy Spirit now resides within you. What's really interesting is that we're told in that regards that the God himself, so you have one God, but the triunity of God, the three-part expression of God, the, the personhood of God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you have this triunity, and God and the personal Holy Spirit indwells you And so you understand the certainty of that. In Ephesians 1, we're told that the Holy Spirit indwells us, and he's the seal of promise, the guarantee of our inheritance. This means that we're bought and paid for by God, and that God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, resides within you, guaranteeing you, I, we belong to God. Really important, can we agree? To have that confidence to know that you have been bought, bought for, and paid for, and God Himself resides in you. You're, you're purchased. You're, you're His. You're not up for sale. You know what I'm saying? You're not back on the market. 
It, it, it's conveying a done deal. It speaks of the earnest money, of the down payment, which are only just kind of a, hardly a shadow of the truth being presented. That we are born again, born of the Spirit. Him dwelling within us. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not a power or some essence or some stirring or some thought. Literally a person. When you study what we're told about how God and the person of the Holy Spirit led the church. You know, we read about the acts of the apostles. It could be more accurately titled the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church and the ongoing work in the church. Because it was really what God, he shows us the Holy Spirit leads. Jesus said about those in his day, because it was different for them in this sense. You and I didn't live at the time when Jesus was walking this earth. The, the physical life you didn't get to see with physical eyes, but some people did. And some of those that were there, his followers, he taught them. So listen, it's going to change this relationship we have. There's going to be another one, a parakletos would be the word, which speaks of one who is me, but not me. One who is, it would be me in you. The one who's going to come alongside you. The, the parakletos speaks of the helper, the comforter. So we're told that from scripture that the Holy Spirit leads, he guides, he comforts, he helps. Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he will bring to your remembrance all the things that I've taught you. He always directs you and me to Jesus. He convicts, meaning he stirs within you. Sometimes, you know, you may, ah, I feel, I was listening to that verse. I was thinking about, you know, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Man, I was really convicted. Well, that's your way of saying God spoke to me. I don't like saying God spoke to me because it sounds like you're some type of spiritual elite with a red phone on your desk. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, but I do have to agree that there's, my head agrees at what that verse was or what that saying was. It kind of, there's something, well, it's the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, bringing to your understanding that there's time to change some things, that there's things to, to, to be doing differently. And not only that, he strengthens us. The Holy Spirit is a person that you should know as revealed in the Bible, from the Bible. I make that distinction only to communicate. You can't just say, well, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, the Holy Spirit's doing this, and, and, and it'd be contrary to the very word of God. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you and bring to your remembrance the word of God, will direct you to Jesus. You can't use the Holy Spirit as some way of saying, well, the Holy Spirit compelled me to do this and to do that. There's been terrible things blamed on God under this topic. Say, oh, the Holy Spirit led me. Well, if it didn't bring honor to God, it didn't direct you to Jesus Christ, it might not have been the Spirit you thought it was. The Holy Spirit, he works in such a way to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches you and me that that we can, uh, you can hinder. Hinder means you can interfere, so to speak, or not, not, well, you just interfere. You can hinder, you can um, quench, you can hinder the work of the Spirit. You can quench the work of the Spirit. Have you thought about that? I mean, that's just, just what, what we're told about our relationship with him. And when you think about the book of Acts, how in that first experience where the, the church is empowered to be his witnesses, that we're told that it was like this, that was like the Holy Spirit descended like, like tongues of fire. And what happens when you put water on fire? 
You quench it. So you could actually, it says that you, I, as born-again Christians, filled with the Spirit, we actually could hinder, we could quench. We're also told that we could resist the work of the Spirit. Be reluctant to receive what he's teaching us and, and has for us. And so those are all things that are very important because it always be, it's, it's, it's in the fabric of this garment, of this thing we're looking at. That God's saying over and over, you know, walk with me. Let me teach you. Let me lead you. You can be led by the Spirit. You can be filled in the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit. Our lives, our lives are to bear the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? I would suggest to you, according to Galatians 5, it's love. And love is expressed in various ways and a part of various experiences. It is, it is love that we see joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what Galatians 5 is telling us. This is what the fruit of the Spirit, this is, this is what is like evident from your life as you learn to walk in the Spirit. Where, where, why am I on this point? Why do I keep teaching so much about the Spirit? Because it said in verse 13, the one way thing that we know we're abiding in Him is because we know, that because He has given us of His Spirit. He's, so you, I, most every person I've ever talked to with any depth agrees that we try to do a lot for God or we try to somehow make it right with God or we need to learn to get to know God in the person of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand how he works and how he stirs and how he empowers and how he leads and what would that expression be and how do we have consistency and remove hypocrisy is we realize like, okay, God, I just, I just need to know you more. Now in verse 14, it continues as he's laying out this, you know, Love that we learn in this lifestyle that's evident. And he says, and we have seen and testify the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. I believe in the initial context, so to speak, is we would be the apostles. As I've said, the apostles, that first generation, that, that group of people, even before the resurrection, they seen and testified of the physical life of Jesus. Matter of fact, we're told when the one apostle... We know as Dr. Luke, as he was stirred by God. So what God did is he, he takes his word, pours it into human vessels, brings it forth through the hand of a man, the heart of God brought through the hand of a man. We're reading that account in John. In Luke, Luke is now this hand that he's bringing forth these truths. Luke was also the one who was used to write to the book of Acts, as he's penning a letter to a man named Theo, Theophilus. And here's what's interesting on both those accounts, chapter 1 of Luke and chapter 1 of Acts. Luke conveys that he was commissioned to give the narrative and the account of things that had been seen and heard concerning the life of Jesus. So it's, it's eyewitness account. And John is saying, listen, this is, we, it says there, as we're looking in our text there in verse 14, we have seen and testify. This is what the Father, who has not been seen, the invisible, this is what the Father has made known, has sent. He has sent his Son, which is an odd thing in a religious sense. It didn't make sense to humanity and to religious people that, that he would come himself to pay a sinner's debt. That he was perfect would put on imperfection and somehow that would resolve man's rebellion. 
It just, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense to you and I because we have the Holy Spirit revealing it. But think about it. When, it, the, when it's being presented in that first century, it, it didn't make sense. But he's saying, listen, this is how it unfolds. This is, this is what it is. He is savior of the world. See, some things have never changed, meaning there's nothing new under the sun. So there's still people sinning and still people need a savior. But if you don't believe you're a sinner, you don't need a savior, logically, in a sense. So here he's presenting, this is to these people. He came, this is his goal, this is why he came. And we can see other things, we've already seen some in First John. To be the savior of the world. And that's who he is. In verse 15, whoever confesses Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him, and he and God confesses. We've seen that word, as I've already referenced it. Speaks of to declare openly, to concede and agree, um, to covenant with. And this agreement involves surrender and dependence. So, so what that means is you, you and I, we, when we come into this relationship, when we declare, God, I, I, I receive, I agree, I take hold of what you presented, I, I'm surrendering to him. And I'm depending upon him. We have in our, our framework of our nation what's referred to as the Declaration of Independence. It's fine for a nation, but for a child of, a God, of God, you have a Declaration of Dependence. Because you're declaring, I need God. That's why you turned your life over to him. Because in that moment, regardless of the circumstances, you come to the eternal truth and the reality and the personal understanding, I need forgiveness. You are my Lord, and now I am dependent upon you. And it's so important because we understand to abide or to dwell, you know, to be at ease with it, to, you know, be among more than just hanging out, you know, to live with. To abide or dwell, one must understand the relationship, agreed? If you're going to dwell with somebody, you better understand your relationship with them. You better, and it's just, it's, it's, it starts in the playground, it takes place in, you know, honestly, I think you can see it in nursery school. You know, you, know, you kind of understand, the little toddlers can understand real quick who took their toy and whether they're friendly or not. And then as you, you should see how it all fits. Well, how much more even that we realize our relationship with God if we're going to dwell with him, understanding what he's done for us. To abide or dwell, we understand the relationship. You've surrendered to him. He leads your life. From the inside out. Here's the key. Religion begins on the outside to try to change the inside. But a relationship with God that's being presented through the gospel of Jesus Christ means God indwells you. You're born again on the inside. And because that's being understood and learned and grasped and and he's leading, it's changing the outside. Seriously critical. Because if we try to just clean up the outside without dealing with the inside, it's called hypocrisy. It's called self-reliance. It's a form of religion, of godliness, but with no power. Because it's up to us to kind of work it all out. He leads from the inside out. For carrying us to verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Many of our struggles in life, I'm speaking to Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, many of our struggles are related to not knowing the depth 
the beauty, the power, the majesty of God's love for us. His agape love. His out of this world, heavenly oriented, heavenly born love that's revealed when we're born again. I believe it's, it's, a, it's a big challenge for, for all of us, quite honestly. It says we've known the loves. You, you and I know it because we read about history. We read about his perfect accomplishment, the cross. You read about it. You know it. But to believe it, to take hold and actually embrace it and, and live, you know, we, we just struggle. Because love, that type of love, is not just what you see in relationships and interaction. It's a different type of love. And if you know, his, we've known and believed the love that God has for us. So many people struggle. So many people are hurt. So many people are, are even, you know, despondent and discouraged because they struggle with capturing the simplicity and the truth and the power of his love. Do you feel lovable? Do you? Because I don't know what it feels like. I have emotion and sentiment, but what does, it mean? what does this mean? This is a love that's, that's unconditional. And it's a love that transforms us when we realize God's love is different. It's not based on how I respond to him. It doesn't get better if I do better. It's perfect from the very start, totally complete in the beginning. His love for us. And the more we, you know, choose to, to learn this love, the more we find ourselves, even in our downtime, saying, God, I, I, I'm still going to choose your love. I'm going to learn to love. I'm gonna, I'm, I want to take hold of this. I want to understand this. Help me, God, to know this love. It's so, I, I, I literally, you, you, can, you can chew on verse 16 for a long time and, and don't ever think that you'll arrive. It's the kind of thing that will nourish you day in and day out. It'll, it'll carry you through some very joyful times. And it'll be your strength and comfort as it carries you through very difficult days in this planet. To know his love for you and to believe that. So many people are struggling because they've made mistakes. Their mistakes have hurt other people. Their mistakes have cost them relationally. Their mistakes have cost them biologically. They're dealing with the repercussions of decisions in, in all their faculties. And somehow the enemy has a way to make us think when we're dealing with those things that God's love isn't quite the same for you. Oh, it works for the pastor. It works for that person. It works for that person. But you're, you're, you got the Kmart blue light special love. You got the discount version. It's not the same for you. You know what I'm talking about? It's the same love. There's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. There's no differentiation. We all have the same love. And I want to encourage you to get to know the love of God based on the word of God, based on the actions of God and the faithfulness of God, for he will not leave you nor forsake you. We're told also that with this love, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Abiding is another word, abide. It's frequent in instruction in this letter. It's a consistent reminder to you and me to remain, to stay close. It really, in the way I'd maybe speak for street terms, choose to consciously continue. Choose to consciously continue. Do you know you're not just going to love just because you want to? 
You're going to love because you choose to consciously continue. Does that mean you abide because you choose to consciously continue? You don't just arrive somewhere. You see what I'm saying? I use those words very, very carefully because there is an element. like, I'm going I'm to continue in this. I'm not quitting. I'm not going back. I'm going to choose to conscious. I'm going to continue. I'm going to abide with God. I'm going I'm to learn to love. Not just self-determination, but a, a dependence. And maybe I can say it for some of you this way. Do not depart. Do not depart. Because sometimes we feel like throwing it in. My life seems to be getting tougher. Relationships seem to be getting worse. I don't know. I'm just, I I don't know what I'm doing. And we kind of want to quit going to church or we want to maybe quit reading our Bible or we quit praying because of various things. And please listen to me. Do not depart. You know, Peter, he went through some struggles. In John chapter six, Jesus presented a pretty tough teaching. You, if you're going to know me, you're going to know God, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the initial response was, that's gross. What do you do? What are you talking about? And many disciples, John 6, verse 66, many of his followers turned back and walked with him no more. They just pulled back. They, They decided to depart. And God, Jesus says to Peter, to all of them, really, that remained, what about you? Where are you going? What are you going to do? Peter, this is what he says. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Isn't that a beautiful answer? You know what he said? I'm grossed out like they are. I have no clue what you're talking about. That's weird. But I'm not giving up what I know for what I don't know. I'm not leaving. I'm not going to quit just because it's confusing. I will not. I'm going to choose to abide. I'm going to choose to stay close. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Perfected. Um, We're complete, yet we're not very good at practicing. Does that make sense? So do you realize that you're perfect? Please don't tell anybody that, because that's going to be a real problem. But what I mean is, you have everything you need. The love of God and the presence of God is within you. So you're not lacking anything. We just need to learn how to live it. Do you remember? There's a good mix of people here generationally. So this only applies to some of you, the older group. Do you remember the first time you turned on a computer? The reason I apply it only to the older group, because this, we're at an interesting time in history. The younger group has always turned on computers. Some of us remember when they introduced the Commodore 64 or the, or the Tandy, or we had a DOS operating system with none of this fancy, fancy window expression, just a dull green screen. When you turned it on, you didn't know what was happening. But as you turned it on, you learned, hey, this does things that I can't do. And as, you know, you think about it, even now when you turn a computer on, you have no idea of the possibilities. But you can send the email. My point being, and the comparison is, that it's complete, so to speak. It can accomplish what it needs to. And you don't know all the details inside of it. So similar when God is, we're, we're made perfect, but we're being perfected. 
it, it, we're, 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 we're learning to love. We're learning how this is expressed. Now, this text, notice that it says that we can have boldness. We can have boldness in the day of judgment. Why is that? I mean, think about that. That's a study in his own. Why can we have boldness? Well, because of his victory. Because he has given himself as an assurance. Now, there's twofold to this term, if you would, in a very simple and and condensed way. First, for the person who has rejected God's gift of forgiveness, who doesn't want church, I get that, but doesn't want a relationship with Christ, I'll deal with it later, whatever. For the one who rejects the gift of God, there's eternal separation from God. You know, the, the term is hell, but nobody really gets that, so to speak. This is what some people, and I'll just say it, process it, but this is ultimately street language of what some people think of hell. Why would I want to go to heaven and sit on a cloud and play a harp when I can go to hell, play strip poker with my friends, have some booze, and enjoy life? Because that's how it's supposed to be. That's like, it's like this old, that's hell. Man, it'd be great. It'd be like a party. We, could, we don't have any of this goody, goody two-shoes keeping us from enjoying ourselves. That's hell. No, you're an idiot. See, the hell, you can't take something that's confined and defined and described and say, well, it won't be like that. I believe it'll be, so I'll use the word hell. But I think it's going to be this. You know what hell will be? eternal separation from everything good. So you have to relate to it in a sense of uh, the physical senses. So nothing good. So do, do something with me. Just going to see how we can do audience participation. Take a breath. You didn't smell anything overly offensive. I hope it did, maybe, but you know. You know what I mean? You're, it's okay. You remember from maybe science class, Sulfur. The stench of sulfur, the horrible smell, that's what we're told that hell smells like. I mean, that's just one hint of it's separated from everything good. It's, it, I'm like, wow, wow. If you, for the person who rejects his gift of forgiveness, you're rejecting everything good for eternity. For the person who's born again, who's received that gift of forgiveness, who agrees they need God, we are told that we'll also have a a judgment appearance. It won't be that seat, this one, of, of rejecting Christ. But we are told that we have to give an account, that, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we've done with what he has given us. It's, you can study it on your own. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So we, as Christians, we give it. But it says we can have boldness in that time. Well, because of him because we know how we got born again we know what he's done for us and we learn how to live with that truth and to live in that reality it also says in this verse look real close because as he is so are we in this world well well, wait a minute is it do we have this you know background glow like some of the pictures like We know it's not that. What is it that as he is, so are we? How is he? He's victorious. Victorious. In John chapter 16, we'll bring it up, verse 33. 
John 16, verse 33. This is Jesus speaking to his followers just functionally hours before the cross. They're going to go through turmoil and like terror when he's arrested and crucified and put on the cross and stuck in a grave. And their whole life's coming apart for just a few moments, figuratively. This is what he's saying to them. I've told you these things. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have peace tribulations. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Do you know when he said that the victory hadn't been accomplished? But do you know when the victory was accomplished? They knew it because they went through this and arrived over here and they got it. And it's for you and I to realize he is victorious. Therefore, we are victorious. He conquered your greatest fear. What is your greatest fear? Before you're born again, your greatest fear is death. If you have a functioning brain at all, you understood that you don't know what happens after this. And some of us as men, males more commonly, um, with the combination of pride, ego, and adrenaline, and opportunity, we did really dumb things whether it's with motorsports or firearms or motorsports and firearms or whatever it may be. We just did different things with kind of reckless. But even then, going, man, I don't know if I would have died at that time. I don't want to get into all the details of personal experiences I could share with you in my life. But it's like, man, that's a, it's a legitimate fear when you don't know where you're going. But he's conquered that. See, death is separation from love as well. No one likes you. I didn't mention that earlier. It might have been too much. But not only hell is as God describes it, no one likes each other there either. Because no one loves. Because every good and perfect gift comes from above, so everything good is not there. No good would be there by its very definition to separate it from God. And he has conquered this. He's conquered your greatest fear. You may feel battered and weary and weak and depleted, yet you're still victorious. I got to run back in time, gosh, over two decades, three close, that three. I grew up as a seven-day non-attendant, a uh, seven-day recreationalist, you could actually say. We just lived for outdoors because of just opportunities, because of how I grew up. I raced motorcycles. In 1973, I had my first new motorcycle. I rode for various different dealerships throughout my career riding motorcycles. But one of the races that stuck out to me was uh, the Jackrabbit 100, which was not 100 miles, actually about 120 if I remember right. But I raced motocross, and that's a short track in a confined space. Cross country was wide open, and you had a, so that that particular race, we had a, a loop, you know, you made four loops on this particular track, which was just out through the desert, of course. Stick with me. You'll see where we're going with this. So I sign up for this race because I'm intrigued. I'm doing very well in the motocross. But like, I've never tried that. And I had a, uh, uh, what they call an enduro. It was more of a, it was a 175. It was a smaller motorcycle for that type of racing. So I sign up. And I give it my all on that particular race. I, I give everything. To the point where, as I come in on the last lap, and I cross the, you know, through where they have the flag and the finish, and I get to where I 
parked and the crew, the pit crew's there and those are helping me and stuff. And I, I go to get off the bike. I'm so spent, I can't. I throw my leg to get off the bike, throw my leg off to get off the bike. I, I hits the fender. I literally just tip over. Falls on my leg. I'm laying there just totally spent, had nothing. Mom runs over, others run over, get the bike up. But guess what? I had a big smile on my face. I really did. Because out of like 115, 120, I finished ninth overall. The closest person in my class was 27th. And I knew, I, I knew, it was just, I only mentioned those numbers just because to equate to you, I knew I was victorious. I knew I, I accomplished what I needed to do, but I hurt. It was painful. It was difficult. And I was so happy. So content. Do, do you see? You may feel battered and beat, and you're, this whole journey of Christian following Christ may not seem what you thought, but understand you're like He is victorious because of His victory. Verse 18. Did you guys see me look at the clock? You, you could catch that? Some of you caught that. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, don't be looking back at the clock. It's none of your business. It's back there for a reason. That's why we have it back there. <laughs> We don't have a third service. Yeah, some of you knew what that meant. <laughs> All right, verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Many of you know what this means. When you abide, you walk in love. And when you know who you are in Christ, then what the Bible refers to as a roaring lion, that roaring lion is detoothed and declawed. Because of the love of Christ. The, the devil, we're told, walks around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But you're not on the menu anymore. You've been, because you abide in Christ. Yeah, he's going to roar, but you know what? You're victorious. You, you, when you, we learn to walk in Christ, when we learn to abide, fear that insults and intimidates and wears you down from the inside out, that fear is conquered by his love. And I want to encourage you, realize that. If fear is gripping your heart, then let his love be perfected in you. Learn to love. His love is perfected in you. Learn to love. I said last week, I'm going to bring clarity. Um, It was a bit abrasive, so I'm going to see if I can make it rougher. Um, So, you know, I was talking last week about this thing, and it's very important to bring clarity in that, you know, some people are hard to love, right? Right? And, and some people are even hard to like. And, and some people are hard to look at. And that's like, what? Not, not the physical arrangement of the eyes and the nose and the face. They're hard to look at, not because of the expression, because of the experience. And sometimes you've had an experience with someone, and it's been so rugged and so brutal and so rocky that you can't even look at them. But you don't get a pass on not loving that person. We're, we're, we're being told this abiding in him and being walking with him that, that it casts out this torment that really comes sometimes because we, we're not learning to love. And we're let fear start to grip our heart and it intimidates us and it, and it literally just wears us out from the inside out. If, if fear, afraid of a situation or a circumstance or a person, and I'm not talking about safety issues. I'm just talking about relational issues. How would you know what's true? 
Well, you're happy skipping along down the aisle at Walmart and somebody steps out and you turn around and go the other way. Now, that may be because they're just hard to like, but it may be because you don't want to love them. And so here's the problem. We, gotta, we, we learn to love. He teaches us how to love. As a matter of fact, we're told in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. How, how did he do that? I mean, what does his love look like? Love people, how do you, what does it look like? Well, what does his love look like? Sacrificial. For God so loved the world, you, me, individually, all these people that collectively create humanity, loved all of humanity, he loved us so much that he gave himself that whoever would believe him would not perish but have eternal life. That's an ex- a sacrificial love, an expression of love. Continuing on to verse 20, let's continue this thought. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, does not love, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You can't claim to love God and then selectively pick the person you will love. <laughs> does that fit? You know, I mean, it is easier in some cases to love and because of, you know, we don't have the history or the hurt. But you learn how to love. And I'm not talking about y'all hang out together or just pat yourself on the back how well you tolerate one another. You know what I'm saying? That's not it. It's just some people you just shouldn't hang around. You know, there's two reasons. For one, you've maybe seen this with kids. Some really good kids can get with another really good kid and those two kids can bring out the worst in each other. Don't hang out together, seriously. Don't be silly. And actually, I don't know why I said kids. That's true with adults. Yeah, actually, that is true with adults. Learning how to love means you just, you don't harbor animosity. You learn not to hate someone. You learn to love them. He teaches you to love in a greater way. He teaches you and me how to have a heart of kindness, compassion, empathy, love for people. The biggest problem to loving people is that you love yourself too much. I'm, I'm speaking to myself. Now, let me say it for you. The biggest problem to loving people is that you love yourself too much. Is that not true? No one wants to hear that nowadays. No, but it's true. We know it in the core of our heart. And even though we, we cover it with explanations and excuses and exemptions and all this stuff, but we know deep down the reason I have a problem with them because I, I, I love myself more. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be like, I don't want to. Why? Because I like comfort. Because I like me. You never say that. I never say that. I'm Although I just said, as an example, I would never mean it. Just kidding. <laughs> You see it, right? We, there's just certain, if we can't be honest with ourselves before God, what are we doing? What are we doing? We can realize, man, I, I, I want to learn to love. I want to love differently. I want to understand this. I want to have a greater love for people that's real and genuine. Verse 1 of chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, is begotten of God. I, that's a hard one to process. Let me read it to you in a contemporary English version. I think it'll help you kind of settle it. If we believe that Jesus is truly Christ, we are God's children. Everyone who loves the Father will also love his children. That makes sense? So if you're a child of God, born of him, you believe Jesus is God, you're one of God's children, then you have a, the love from the Father and you'll choose to love other people, you'll love his children. 
Verse 2 of chapter 5. We are going to get done here. I'm going to pick up the pace. Seriously. By this we know that we love the children of God, that we love God and keep his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Jesus said something very simple. We've seen it frequently as we went through this letter. We refer to it. He said to his disciples, this is how the world will know that you're my followers. There's going to be something that's an expression, a distinctive, an attribute, a quality, a visible verification that you follow Christ. This is how the world will know that you're my disciples. You will have love one for another. The defining characteristic. It's not a burden. We do not work to love. We learn to love. And it's his power working within us, teaching us to love, empowering us to love. I find it so liberating, seriously. I I feel I'm so far from it, but it's nice to know that the path is there, that that, that, that it's possible, not possible. It's already been unlocked and opened. It's just so simple. Verse four, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, or sometimes I just say your faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So how do we tap into that? How do we take hold of what this whole thing's talking about? How do we learn this love he's given to us? Well, by believing that that he is God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, bring it up. Hebrews 11, verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So just track with that. You can't please God without coming by faith, which means you believing that he is who he says he is. And as we, we, we walk by faith, we believe that he's God. And that as we seek him, he's a responder. Because actually it's his calling to us. We're responding to him. And we're pouring out our heart. We're working through life. We're, we're, we're humbly asking, teach me to love. Show me how to do this stuff. I believe that you will. And it, it says, as you do that, you have to have this frame of mind, this awareness that he is a responder, a rewarder. He, he hears your prayers. He knows your heart. And he's a, re- a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So cool. I mean, so amazing. I'm going to have Greg and, and Natalie, the worship team, come back up. We're actually going to close out right now. Haven't used that word yet. <laughs> Haven't said close. So I, I know I could do it three more times. That would be culturally acceptable. But we'll just go with that one. And if you would stand with me as they work their way up, we are going to close out also. Uh, you may have known it. It's not a method. I believe it's a healthy approach to pray through a portion of Scripture that that really conveys our heart or maybe even our petition um, as we consider what he's been teaching us. And this morning we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We'll bring it up. You have it there on projection. You can look at that. I'm going to pray through it. So you may want to bow your head and close your eyes so you're not distracted. You may want to stare at that passage. The point is we're looking to God to do a work in our lives to finish what he started. And every one of us are at a different point. Regardless of your age, you're at a different point where God is calling you closer to him. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in your name. 
and to learn, Lord Jesus. We do understand some of us have made this step already. And some may be ready right now to take this step of agreeing with you, God. I need you, Lord. I, I, I know I need forgiveness. I, I've been to church a lot. I've seen things. I've kind of just passed on some things. But I, I can't pass on this anymore. God, I, I would ask that you would, you would give me this new life, this, this born-again life that you speak of. I agree I need you. I, I need your forgiveness, and I would ask for it. Jesus, with all that I know what to do, I, I put my faith in you. And yet I also ask that you would lead me in faith. If I'm born again, I'm an infant, and I would ask for you to be my father, that you would nurture me and show me how to live this new life. I repent. I turn from where I used to live. I, I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to experience this. And God, we are dependent upon you. We would ask of you, God, for you are the God of peace. May you set us apart for a purpose. May you do a complete work within us for your glory, God. May you do that work that's not just of the head or of an emotion, but a work that is of our whole spirit, soul, and body. Do that work, O oh God, that you would preserve us and set us apart for your purposes at your return, blameless because of what you've done. Oh God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for we know you'll return soon. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this world will end and a whole new world will be ushered in and may we just be eager to see you. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you for who you are. We sing to you with joy and gladness. In your beautiful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.